Well, it's that time of year again. Looking out over the Aberdeenshire countryside here, you can see that looks like, I would say, a river of frost winding its way down the Dee Valley. It has a distinct seasonal look, like, like somebody has drawn a line along the valley with and sugar. Bonnie, <laughs> but cow. I'm Frida Morrison. Welcome to Scots Radio and our special Christmas edition. As is new tradition, we have special guests. Some expected, some just turn up. That's the why of things. It just fit happens. And you can't help it sometimes. You just have to ging with the flow. Can't what I mean? So join me and the team in our virtual sheds. Richie, Dave Mitchell, Claire Patterson, Steve Byrne, and our special guest, Cameron McNeish, for a special Christmas party. It's going to be festive. Welcome to Scots Radio. Richie, ring the bells. Ring the bells. This is a track for the new album, for Elephant Session. For the night, this is After Hours. into our Christmas spirit and more wise than in maybe. The, that was for the new album for the Elephant Sessions for the night. It's a goodie. That track was called After Hours. But in this hour, let me send our best wishes to other musicians and singers and special guests in this year's Trad Music Awards. Our congratulations to other winners and nominees. I'm Frida Morrison and in our customary Wyadian, let me introduce the team in the wheelhouse in Embra. Come in. Mr. Richard Werner here. Hey, hey, how are we doing, folks? 
Okay, Christmas in the Werner House. What's it looking like? Oh, it's looking like I'm getting the Hale family for Christmas this year. So, uh, ah, I might need to nobble uh, Claire's ear about uh, what I'm doing with parsnips and carrots and how to roast them because I did again. Uh, so, okay, give that some of side later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to be getting much sleep, of course. Sleep. Bob is all excited and gonna boot. As long as you sleep eye. on the night before the big man comes, I'm happy. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> in the Edinburgh suburbs, come in, David Mitchell. Are you in a festive spirit yet, Dave? Oh, in the festive spirit? Of course I am. I've got winter borders, fuey floors, and I'm just about to put the licks on the decks up outside, and I'm marking an off a bonny reef with blue spruce and Cones and tartan ribbon and a golden bell. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Ah, you are a treasure, just a complete and utter treasure. Okay, fix your focus this time, though, Dave, for programme. Well, I, I, I wanted to do something a wee bit different, and I'm going to talk about the scent of Christmas past, Christmas present, and the future. And I'm not talking about bottles of perfume that come for the big fella Santa. <laughs> I'm speaking about really traditional fragrances associated with Christmas for pine and cloves and nutmeg. And there's a lot of winter flowering plants that you could have in your garden. I bet you didn't think of his nearly 50 or 60 that would no. be in flower now if you just knew what to choose. Great, thank you. Okay, to the Ian that's I was festive and cheery, oh, favourite companion and happy person, who oh, cook in La Habar. Hello, Claire Patterson. Hello, Claire. Hi, Frida. How are you doing? You're there. You're there. Okay, give us a smidgen of your recipes this Christmas edition. So I've got a couple with all those Christmasy flavours. I've got a tray bake. I've got a soup. And then I've got a couple to use up bits and bobs that we tend to have lying around um, at this time of year. So a sort of baked leek dish and some spiced winter fruits. Just gets you in the spirit, doesn't it? Okay, intranent. Are you there, Steve Byrne? I am, Frida. What like? Oh, and we're fine, we're fine. Okay, fits the update on the Christmas spirit in your host, Steve. Oh, jings. Well, we hae advent calendars coming out with lugs. Uh, our <laughs> wee lassie has to hae dairy freeing, so whenever we're seeing, we're, we're picking up and we've just got cupboards through the darn things. So I must be hae <laughs> an advent calendar myself this year. Hey! Oh, okay. Okay, fits your focus this episode. So I'm going to be looking at some of the older traditions today with Christmas and uh, some traditions around the world. Some might be true, some might not be so true. And uh, bits and pieces of old Christmas food for uh, Floss McNeil's research on the Scots kitchen. We like Floss McNeil's Scots kitchen. Thank you, Steve. And to your special guest, outdoorsman, environmentalist and author, welcome Cameron McNeish. Hiya, Cameron. Hello, Frida. How are you over there in sunny Aberdeenshire? We, well, it is sunny, actually, because it's been frosty at the beginning. And we saw this kind of line of, of frost, frozen, frozen fog, I suppose. But yeah, it's sunshine now. Now, Cameron, you've just published your book, An Eye to the Hills, this card. We'll be speaking about that in a few minutes. But tell us, fit, fit does your ideal Christmas look like? Uh, snowy hills, lots of sunshine, Below zero temperatures and sharpened crampons and ice axes. Oh, yes. Yes. We like that idea. All right. Time for some mere music. And this is the only time I get to play my favourite Christmas collection. This is Annie Lennox singing God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day To save us all from Satan's past when we were gone astray Glad tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, glad tidings 
Annie Lennox, we God rest ye merry gentlemen. Well, there's a lot of memories and traditions around Christmas and the build-up to Christmas. They're just a part of the seasons, the tiver the place. And for me, Christmas just has that best seasonal scents and smells, be it in the, the Christmas tree or the spicy oils. I need to mention the aromas coming through the kitchen. And Claire will be leading us into that idea. But Dave Mitchell has been looking at the Christmas scents for the Pinewoods at Tiddergarden. Dave, over to you. Well, Frida, you can sense an awful wonderful thing. It triggers the memory like nothing else. And I thought we should look at the fragrances that signify getting together with friends to share a meal or a coffee or a big dod of cake or a bit of own lovely stolen or mince pies. So let's hitch a ride with Santa and get off to the Far East, into the forests of the Far East. We're there really because a lot of those spices that come from there originally were used to improve the taste of salted and smoked food. And that was really important because that was the only way of preserving food to get you through the winter before the freezer was invented. And of course the same spices were used to transfer cheap wine and to mark it into a winter warmer like mulled wine or glue vine and the first two that we have here are things called nutmeg and mace mace folk will ken what they smell like they come from the same tree, maristica fragrance the nutmeg is the hard seed and the mace is the wee fleshy golden oriole that kind of sits round the seed when you open it out they've both got warm, rich, sweet flavours but the mace is a wee bit more bitter and you know they were once highly prized families, businesses, nations made fortunes on the importation of these plants from the Far East into Europe and Britain in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. They were used for soups and stews and Christmas punch. And then there's allspice. Now allspice comes from the other side of the globe. So Santa's getting busy, he's going to walk off to the Caribbean and Mexico. And allspice first was introduced about 1655, and it's the ground-up seed of a plant called Pimenta Dioica. It's an amazing thing, allspice. It smells wonderful, but it's like a combination of cinnamon and cloves and nutmeg all together. And no one fella tweaks Christmas cake and my favourite, black bun. Man, there's no like a big dot of one black bun with a slice of butter. I hope the doctor's no listening. Never mind. Oh, right. That's mince pies, cake, black bun, don't we? But think about the spicy scents. They can like the the forest we put into drinks. Well, we better get back on Santa's sled and hitch a ride and get away back to the Far East because that's where we get cinnamon. 
That comes for the tree called Cinnamonum Zalanicum. And you can buy it today just as your forefathers did. It comes in wee quills or it's ground down um, into a powder. And it can be used in savoury dishes. It's really good with lamb. It's used in bacon. It's also dusted on top of your hot chocolate. And it's used as well for making Danish pastries. And then where it's sitting on the shelf, no, usually not that far away from it, is cloves. And they actually are the dried, unopened flower buds. Another forest tree called Sigizium aromaticum. And it also comes from the Moluccas, where we call Indonesia. And it was used in mulled wine or glue vine. Wonderful thing. And both of these things have been, the cloves and the cinnamon, have been in Europe for Roman times, right through the Middle Ages, through the era of the Dutch and the English spice trades. You know, it's just it's just amazing. You know, that trade lasted about 300 years when it reached its zenith in 1700. You know, it, it's a fascinating period to read about. There's even a connection with Manhattan, but I'll leave you to find that out for yourself. Okay. Now, did the traders introduce any other spices that, that we associate with Christmas? Well, they did. They brought ginger, Zingaber officinale, which is a wee herb. And, of course, it, it's wheel has been a favourite food that has very many health benefits. It's good for your digestion and it's used in the manufacture of traditional drinks and fizzy drinks you can also get it preserved in in syrup or it can be pickled and it's used in confectionery i, I love pickled ginger yeah. or ginger preserved in syrup totally scrumptious oh, amazing it's great. Aye. okay and uh, um, other exotic scents and flavors for maybe nearer him Associated with well, Christmas. you couldn't have Christmas Frida without talking about frankincense and myrrh, you no. know, Boswellia Sacra and Camphoria Mirror that were given to the Christ child by the Magi. These are actually very fragrant raisins and they're still used today in the perfume industry. They have many healing powers. People that use aromatherapy to help their well-being will be familiar with both. And of course, dates, Phoenix Dark Tullerifera. You know, nigella, lawson, sticky toffee puddings, a traditional thing at Christmas in here, whose dates are a main ingredient with them. And I bet Claire's got a wiener recipe that used dates and all. And, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that dates are really good for you. They're very rich in iron. And there was a time, I mean, my grandfather, he used to hit half a dozen before he went to his bed because he maintained it made him sleep better and he'd more energy in the morning. And Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without almonds. The seeds of Prunus dulcis var dulcis, native to the Mediterranean, and that's used to make marzipan vital for your Christmas cake or whatever. Just imagine the festive season with any of these wonderful flavours, Mickey. It would be a guy doer do indeed, wouldn't you, it? You, you're just a fond of knowledge and treasures. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I can just feel the scent of that spicy cinnamon in my apple. And this is the music of Noel. This is Emily Smith from her Christmas album, Songs for Christmas. This is Christ Has My Heart Eye. For us that blessed beard was born, for us he was bethrent and torn, for us he was crowned with thorn. Christ has my heart eye, Christ has my heart eye. For us he shed his precious blood, Kneel it on the road For us in money battles too Christ has my heart eye Christ has my heart eye 
Smith with Christ has my heart eye. And I was confused as to whether it means Christ has my heart always or in Aberdeenshire vernacular, Christ has my heart eye. <laughs> Does that quite sound the same ring? Did it Christ has my heart eye? Anyway, <laughs> that is it. Sorry to Emily for that, but it just goes through my head. Aye, uh, Christ has my heart eye. Right, Cameron McNeish. Is going to our favourite, your favourite companions on this programme. Not only is he good company, but he's our favourite storyteller. He has championed the great Scottish outdoors, the communities and the environment, and the wildlife for over four decades. He's an honorary fellow of the Royal Scottish Geographical Society, past editor of the Great Outdoors magazine, and presenter on numerous TV programmes on the subject. Not only that, he's just published a new book, Cad. An eye to the hills. Cameron, it's another corker. Congratulations. And hot on the heels of or steps of the last boot, come by the hills. You just didn't hang a boot there. You I don't hang a boot. No, no. no, there's no hanging a boot, Frida. There's no time to hang a boot these days. <laughs> exactly. No, this is the this is the third and final part of my, my Hills trilogy. My uh, trilogy of mountain memoirs, if you like. If that doesn't sound too grand. The first one was, of, of course, um, there's always the hills and then come by the hills. And now, an eye to the hills. And it's kind of interesting too, just picking up on what you'd said about uh, that last song uh, and the use of the word I. When I wrote this book, I had... A-Y-E, I to the hills, as, as in the hills forever kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my publisher suggested it sounded a bit naff, so I should change it to 
an eye to the hills. So I did that, which was actually quite useful because mm-hmm. it, it, it can, it's a wee bit of a wordplay on Psalm 121. I to the hills will lift mine eyes from whence doth come my aid. So it's a, it's a wee bit of a wordplay on that. It's a lovely, lovely title. It, it contains our fuller decades of your wonderful essays about Scotland's outdoors that encompasses the adventures in wild places, hill-walking, mountaineering, of course, your love of wildlife and nature observations about conservation. Cameron, can I look at some of the chapters? Well, I'll start off with the first thing, the big days. Fit mm-hmm. are the big days. The big days are these days where you go and, you you, you, you know, the lovely thing, Frida, about our hills in Scotland, particularly the Monroes, the 3,000-foot mountains, is you can get up them and back down in time for the pub opening up. <laughs> and that, that's always a nice incentive. You're coming down the hill and you've oh, got a pint of beer in half an hour. That's nice. But some days you go a wee bit longer and you go for bigger days and sometimes you're out there for 8, 10, 12 hours. And these are the big days and they give they give a satisfaction that you don't really get just sort of nicking up and down one wee hill. No. You're out all day. You see, I've always said that you can't really claim to know a hill until you've slept on it. So the whole 24 hours thing on a hill is just a wonderful experience. I'm going into chapter three now, birds and beasts, and they ask, has outdoor culture become too detached from nature? Big, big question. Has it? I think in some cases it maybe has. There's a lot of people going to the hills now and they just want to get up there as quickly as possible, do a selfie at the summit, put it on social media and get back down again. And and really, the, the, this, um, this, this chapter was inspired by a friend of mine who was a, a magazine editor, and he got a letter from one of his readers saying, you know, we, I love you writing about the hills, but you could, could you, you know, keep away from this wildlife stuff? Oh. If I'm interested in wildlife, I'll buy a wildlife magazine. Cheapers. So it's like the outdoors and wildlife are separate things. And, and I had this conversation recently with my good friend Jim Crumley, who's a, a wildlife writer. And right. we kind of agreed that the two things are not separate. If you're outdoors, then we really should have an interest in the wildlife because it's part of, it's a part of, of everything we do. Of so course. really, that's what this chapter's all about. Now, I love the chapter about the mountain folk. And your, your tales are Sid Scroggy. Tell us that story, Cameron. Oh, Sid is just, you know, for those who didn't know Sid Scroggy, um, Sid was one of Scotland's finest climbers in the 1930s. He went to the war and was blown up during the war somewhere in Italy. And as a result of that landmine explosion, he lost his sight and he lost one of his legs. And when he came back to Dundee, he put a, an advert in the Courier and basically asked for somebody to come and take him to the hills. So he was looking for a, a, a pair of eyes to guide him. And he, he did say in, in, in that original uh, invitation, guide dogs need not apply. <laughs> and, but the, the wonderful thing about Sid is you, 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 you would never have guessed he was blind. I remember going to interview him for a radio programme I was doing at the time called In the Country. I'd phoned him up previously and said, where will I find you, Sid? And he said, well, I live in Strathmartin. He says, so if you come into Strathmartin, just north of Dundee, and ask anybody where the blind old bugger lives. Um, so so I, drove, I drove in there and I saw this old guy in his garden digging away. And I, I shouted out, could you tell me where Sid Scroggy lives? And he said... Are you McNeish? I said, aye. He says, aye, I'm Sid. He says, just reverse into the drive here. I'll guide you. I said, okay, fine. So here was I reversing into the drive, looking in the rear view mirror, being very careful with this guy behind me saying, no, right hand down about, right, I'll be a bit to the left. <laughs> and I suddenly remembered he was blind, you know. But that was Sid. He was a remarkable character. You could go to the hills with him and he would say, 
over there, there's, a, there's, there's two blackbirds. I can hear the two blackbirds. And over here, you'll see this. And, and he kind of, it's almost as if he could see these things. And he always maintained, but because he'd lost his sight, all his other senses had been heightened. And he was just a remarkable guy to go for a walk with. A great story. What about more than a day, though? More than a day. And, uh, of course, your favourite poem of all times, I Will Arise and Go Now, W.B. Yeats. Well, this is a wonderful poem, I think, and I, I really can't remember when I first heard this poem. I, I, I think I was probably quite young, but it's kind of hung around in my consciousness all this time. I, I will arise and go now and go to in is free, and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And you know, that verse has always been a kind of metaphor to me for, for, for you know, being away in my tent somewhere. I don't have a wee cabin built of wattles and clay, but I've got a wee tent, and, and that used to be my wee cabin. I'd get away in that wee tent uh, and, and know the peace of the outdoors and, and know the freshness of the outdoors. Today, I'm a wee bit... A wee bit too kind of old and sore to uh, squat down in your wee tent. So I've got a camper van now. So that's my new cabin of wattles and clay. Yeah, we uh, share that like love. Yeah. My, my wee home and we, get, we go away into some just some wonderful places. But this, it's a remarkable poem. And a good friend of mine, Jim Perrin, who's a, a writer from Wales, once sent me a very old wireless recording of, of Yeats reciting this. And it was a, a huskiness in his voice. And, it, and he kind of emphasised the words and it was slow. And it, it made the hairs in the back of my head stand up when I heard it. And it's, to this day, one of my, one of my favourite poems. I think it's just wonderful. Well, we learned it at school. It's my favourites as well, Carmen. But I can't go too far uh, on with the writing without mentioning the, the photos. My favourite is the looking south through the slopes of Ben Nevis, that, that shades of blue and, and mauve and purple. Mm -hmm. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture because you're taking pictures as you're going along at the same time, aren't you? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I remember I used to only carry a camera when the weather was good. But I was out with my old friend and mentor, Tom Weir, one day. And, and Tom said, um, have you got a camera with you? And I said, no, it's a bit dour today. And he said, oh, no, you should carry a camera with you all the time. He says, because the best photographs are the ones taken on bad days, good moments on bad days. And he's right. It's those days when the cloud clears away and you've got a kind of window and, you know, and, and then the colours and, and, and the vapours and everything else just makes that great photograph. So there were wise words. We're quite fortunate these days because, you know, modern, modern phones, smartphones and things normally have very good cameras. And in fact, I think the iPhone I've got is a better camera than my proper camera. Yeah. Um, so they're so easy to carry with you and get lots of shots. But, but you're right, when you're up in these places, art is all around you, beauty is all around you. And it's kind of silly not to capture it. Okay, changing times, changing times, Cameron. That old, that old chestnut. I'm, I'm hesitant to go into the, the the amount of words we could say about changing times. But simple question: Is education the answer? Aye, simple answer. Yes, it, it is. It is. We've got lots of people who have come and, and they're new to the hills and the countryside since um, you know COVID. And after lockdown, people were desperate to get out and people were beginning to realise that the natural world and the countryside is actually quite important to us. We kind of need it. 
So there's a lot of people coming out now, and unfortunately, you know, quite a lot of them left rubbish behind, and they didn't close gates, and they, they, they you know, they didn't really care for the countryside. Mm-hmm. And as a result, people were wanting to ban them, and they have bylaws to stop this, that, and the next thing. I think education is the answer, and it's great people are coming to the countryside. Great people are realising that the hills and the mountains are something very valuable to offer us. So we have to educate these people, and we have to do that through magazines, through 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 newspaper articles. Um, through programs like this, mm-hmm. um, right. and we can get the word out that people, you know, they, they, they can they can love these places, but they've also got to care for them. I'll ask you the question rather than me try and answer it. Do you finish the book? We are note of optimism. I do, Fida. Yes, I do. I think we have to be optimistic. Um, we've come through so much. If you remember way back at the beginning of, the, of COVID, we all thought, oh my goodness, this is awful. What are we going to do? What's the outcome of this going to be? We've kind of come through it, thanks to science. We've, we've kind of come through that. So I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about the future of our planet in that we have some great brains out there. We have some very clever people. And I'm not, I'm not talking about politicians here. <laughs> we've got some very clever people out with politics. And I think we'll be all right. Right. I'm going to ask you to read a wee bit. Finally, just that last paragraph from your book. Okay. Page 291, I, I refer to it. Could yeah. you read that for us, Cameron? I will do, yeah. What I've said at the end of this book is, crucially... We need to consider our mountains, hills and wild land as cathedrals in which we worship, places where we are sustained and uplifted rather than places to be conquered and controlled for monetary or personal gain. With ambition, a willingness to change and a desire to work together, we can win the fight against climate change. And what's more, we can be richly blessed in doing so. Thank you, Cameron McNeish. That was beautiful. And Cameron's book, An Eye to the Hills, is published by Sandstone Press, available for our good bookshops and makes a corker or a Christmas present. This is Annie Lennox again, with Angels through the Realms of Glory. Angels from the realms of glory Wing your flights through all the earth He who sang creation story now proclaim messiah's birth
with Angels for the Realms of Glory, just in my all-time favourite versions. No, this Christmas, a lot of us will be planning our Christmas dishes according to our tech budget. Now, our cook, or Claire, is real accustomed to that. So, Claire, over to you. Hiya, Frida. So, I think this time of year, and especially this year, it's just it's making the most of what you got. It's, it's mm-hmm. getting those Christmassy flavours in. And just making sure there's no waste. So to start with today, we've got a Christmassy tray bake. So it's kind of all the flavours of Christmas in a one dish pot that will just go in a single dish in the oven and cook nice and quick. So I'd take eight chipolata sausages, wrap each of them in a slice of bacon, ruin them in a tablespoon of oil for a couple of minutes just till the bacon starts to crisp a little um, in an oven safe dish. And then take them out the dish, put them to one side. While they're brewing chop up a couple of big tatties and a red onion into wedges, toss those with a wee bit more oil, a wee bit of salt and pepper, and then pop those into the dish where you browned your sausages and you stick that in a 180 Celsius oven for 20 minutes. While that's cooking, trim in half a bit of pound of Brussels sprouts and chop up a tablespoon of fresh sage. And once the tatties have had their 20 minutes, they'll be no cooked, but starting to cook. Mix in the sprouts, the sage, Plonk your sausages on the top and then back in the oven for maybe 20-30 minutes until the vegetables are tender and the sausages are nice and brown. And a wee bit of gravy on the side, a wee bit of cranberry sauce and that's you. Lovely. (laughs) Sounds good. Oh boy, I like it. Soups, any soups? What soup? Aye. So, I mean, is it even Christmas if there's no turkey soup? I I don't think so. We We are big fans of the turkey soup. Christmas tradition. I mean, I know a lot of folk do the turkey croons now rather than the whole turkeys. And I could talk for about an hour about why you shouldn't do that because the drumsticks are the best (laughs) bit. But if you insist on getting a turkey crown or if you're not having turkey at all, then you can get a turkey drumstick. They're usually about 
£2. And they will do the biggest pot of soup you need and probably plenty of meat left over for pieces or for something else. So if you're doing it with a turkey carcass, strip off all the wee bits of meat from everywhere on the carcass and put, put it to one side. If you're using a drumstick, then just season it with a wee bit of salt and pepper and brown it in a frying pan. You're not going to cook it. You just want to get a bit of crispy skin and a brune flavour in that just to get the flavour in the stock. Then you'll simmer your turkey carcass or the drumstick with some onion, carrot, celery, parsley, thyme, bay leaf, a few peppercorns, and just simmer that away for a few hours and then strain it. If you're using the drumstick, put it to one side to cool and then strip that meat off from the bone. What I usually do is I usually chill the stock overnight because then you can just skim off the fat from the top, which kind of sets. And you know your stock's really good because it'll go like a jelly when you mm. when it's chilled. Mm-hmm. So then the next day, saute some chopped onion, carrot, celery, leek, and a wee bit of butter till it's soft. Then add in a chopped potato, some of your stock. You might not need it all. Bring it up to a simmer. Season with a bit of salt to taste. And then when your veggies are getting there, almost tender, you can add a wee handful of rice or a wee handful of pear of barley and cook until that's tender too. Add your reserved turkey all shredded up, um, a big handful of chopped parsley and some black pepper. And that's Christmas to me or Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just sounds great. Sounds good. That's really sounds good. Thank you for that. And uh, there's just no doubt about it, is it? Christmas and food getting together. Now, Steve, mm. do you hear any Scottish foodie traditions at this time of year? Ah, yes, I was saying, I, I had a, a rake in Echmar McNeil's Scots oh, Kitchen right. and was saying, look, if you get to the back of that, there's a kind of calendar that gives you a whole menu of things you can do in the kind of winter time. And you can hear Yule Bros, which is mostly just regular bros, but with a bit of honey, or depending on where you are, it'll be a bit of beef stock for a treat. I'm not sure if I would fancy that myself, <laughs> but I can. Um, and there's Yule Breed and Gid Breed and Arkins of Suins and Plum Porridge and all these sort of things. And she quotes this brilliant bit of poetry for Robert Ferguson in the daft days. When merry Yule Day comes, I trow, you'll scantlins fin a hungry moo. Sma our our cares, our stomachs foo augusty gear, and kicks us strangers to our view since fairn year. So, my own tradition for Christmas that I've started mm-hmm. a couple of years saying is Christmas tatties, of course. Here in an allotment, I get a bit of don't hurt it that you hate to kind of stop doing things in the tail end of the year, or you didn't get much in the way of crops for, for your allotment. So, in August time, Chucked in some of the, the Sharpo varieties that come from Hungary. They're great resistance to blight. And we get Christmas tatties. Uh, sometimes even get New Year tatties, depending on who the, who the weather's been. So that's mm-hmm. Ina Ines. So that's your traditions. I know that Ines is from Germany. Do you have uh, German dishes as well as part of your Christmas tradition? I think one of the things is that we are quite a small family. So when we would be in Germany for the Christmas, it would be a, a big gathering of folk. I'm saying maybe 20 folk. You can abide quite close to one another. So they would mm-hmm. hate a goose. Uh, that sort of thing. It'd be a, a full bird that would be prepared with the, the kind of traditional Christmas cabbage. There's a lot of, sort of certain cabbage dishes that would put together. But mostly, it's not that different to what we hear here. You kind of, your turkey and other trimmings, but mm-hmm. usually, usually be a, a goose that would hay. Yeah. Any special plans for this, this Christmas that are just kind of hunkering doing? Hunker and Dune, it's our turn to hey Mother this year. We we do turn about with, with the rest of my family, so um, Mother's coming to us. A year 
Tak Turnabout, we would gang away to see Enos's family, but it's, it's the Scottish Christmas this year, so we'll be hunkering down in Trenent and uh, seeing what's going on here, getting the Christmas tatties dug up. I'll be out there in the, the frosty weather, the tail end of December, pulling yeah, them up for the I. for the dinner. But I love going out in the garden again in, in the frosty weather, because it's just, it, to me, that's again, that's Christmas, just getting it sent and watching the robins and the wee birdies trying to get up the, the berries. Aye, they're good. as soon as you get the speed in the ground, the robin's there. They're there. It's just, <laughs> you're absolutely they're just True. there. Right, final on the subject. Folk have been asking if Santa is making his usual appearance this year. Well, I'm sorry, but there's been cutbacks. As you can, reindeer travels on carrots. But the price of carrots have gone up, so no carrots can't afford them, so the reindeer are refusing to flee. They're naked to flee a foot of carrots. They're on a go slow. <laughs> so normal service will resume, we hope. But they winna come here this year. Can I come? Wanna come? Nay reindeer, nay carrots, nay Santa. <sighs> I've got that out of my system. What else can I say other than as a moment of hope? This is a lovely track for Sue Ali's new album. The album is called Dialogues, features Sue Ali on cello and each track with different guests. And the track you're about to hear is Cad Paths, which is so apt. Two tunes, a Strathspey and a Reel, written and performed by Hamish Napier and Sue Lee. This is The Speyside Way and The Deer Path. Thank you. 
is beautiful. The music for the new album by Sue Lee called Dialogues, and it's beautifully produced. Beautiful. Just dawned on me, Cameron, we haven't asked you about your Christmas traditions. Have you got any specific traditions you go through every year? Uh, I don't think we do, particularly. I mean, it just seems to be much... We do, do much the same thing every year. Certainly in the past few years, we, we kind of... It's, it's a family... It's a big family thing. We do have a particular highlight coming out this year because the family will all get together on Christmas Day and my, my oldest granddaughter, who will turn 16 just between Christmas and New oh. Year... Is, is just been doing her grade five piano, so she's going to give us a special recital. Oh, wow. Brilliant. So we're kind of looking forward to that, and she's a prospective great musician, I think, oh, uh, and she's very keen around music. It's so, fantastic. So that'll be nice, so we're looking forward to I that. I just remember a kind of family traditions in my house when we had aunties and uncles, uh, there was kind of singing at various levels of expertise, I would say, from the aunties and uncles, but I was, I, I was like, my favourite thing, I was, I asked the date, she was poor, but she was honest. Victim of a squire's whim. You know, very, very Aye. traditional Scottish, of course. With action. With I had actions. an uncle who loved to, um, he used to take my guitar and he couldn't play, he didn't know a chord, but he would just kind of strum it, open strings right. and sing Down Mexico <laughs> Way. That was his, the only song he knew, I think. <laughs> Well, you see, I, I originally come from Glasgow, so we we get, we, get, we got a lot of the Billy Connolly Aye. stuff, you know, the Billy Connolly country and western songs. That's you know? what we had, yeah. That was that was always a laugh. Don't fence me, I remember. Give me, I just let me ride over wide on the country like a yeah. Oh, I could go on. Don't fence me, and that's a oh, well, oh well. the traditional the traditional Scottish songs that you love and love. Okay, back to Steve again. More traditions at Christmas, Steve. Over to you. Aye, Frida. Well, I went for a wee rake and Tober and Dulock as the kiss the riches and fun a couple of things that we've maybe touched on before, but did you ken that up in Shetland on Christmas Eve the Bairns and Scalloway would spend the nicht tacking whatever they could get their hands on and moving it about? Not just wee things, but boats and ah, and whose stores block it up with fish boxes, wash tubs and lums. Folk would get up in the morning to see what had been tamed, and things would gain back, we'd begin back to Folk by Hogmanay. Oh, and, uh, Robbie Acebuster tells us that in full of the tea kettle gate missing, the hunted are ruined, but it was an old body tell them nae to bother till the niece Christmas, as the trows had teen it. And trows. sure enough, next year it was there. But what about around the world traditions? A pit my toe into the information midden that there's a world wide web. Now, when you're doing research, it's getting heard to find out what's really true and when folks ain't you on. So, a couple of wee bitties here. I thought for the first time we'd get a quick tale for Ukraine. The legend of the Christmas speeder or the Ettercap is an Eastern European folktale that some folks say is the origin of tinsel on your Christmas tree. Fun mostly in Western Ukraine, they put wee ornaments in the shape of a wab on the tree. There was a pair widow bed in a wee hut with her bernies. A summer's day, a pine cone fell down on the earthen flare and root it. The bernies look it after the tree, saying they would hear a Christmas tree for the first time. By the time the Christmas come, they'd nae cellar to decorate it wee, so they gave to bed a bit of dual-like. And in the morning the tree was covered with speeder's wabs. They opened the windies, the sunlight came in and turned the wabs into gowd and cellar. And for the day for it, they wouldn't appear any longer. What about that? Mm. And in Poland, you had 12 different dishes and puddings. 12 is a good luck for the months of the year and the number of apostles in the good book. So they had seasonal and traditional foods, but nae meat, although there's fish. There's borscht, carp, herring, pierogies, kale rolls, ginger beef, poppy seed cake, fruit compotes, all kind of things with nuts and seeds and grains. And they're I meant to leave a pliss at the table in case of an unexpected guest. Lovely. No, there's a thing. My mother did exactly the same. She I set an extra place at the table. Hmm. And we just took it for granted that Abdi did that. And it wasn't until I was quite old and I realised nobody else did that. 
And you can, many times folk just did arrive and they just sat down at the extra table because, you know, there was no problem because we had set an extra place at the table. I thought that it was traditional Scottish. Maybe no. Maybe no, maybe no. Steve, thank you, and thank you, Cameron, again. Right. We kind of hate Santa with us, but we do hate Dave Mitchell. He's our Christmas spirit, and he brings us sense for the East. Now, that's Nabucky. That's the other East. So, <laughs> Dave, guide us on the walk through the sense of Christmas forest. Well, we've been to the Far East. We're just going to be staying near our home, and you all can the things that you used to decorate your house, pine and holly and ivy. You know, and there's often variegated forms of all of these things, and they're all full of folks, of legends and folklore and tales and yin hang and another, and there's nothing like having greenery in the house to transform the room into a sort of fragrant woodland glade. It kind of reminds you that we're closer to nature somehow when Christmas trees and things come into the house. And I, I, I like a real Christmas tree. Mm. All the mess you get with the needles and all, it's all part of Christmas, whether it's a pine or a spruce or a fir. The scent of the resin is a, a real joy. But again, I, I like a bit of golden yew, and I've seen me weave it through a bit of rope to make a nice garland underneath the mantelpiece. I bet you didn't ken that though and you was connected with that wee rascal we spoke about in the last programme, Ken Bacchus, the god of agriculture and wine. It's also linked to Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. Sure. Well, the, you think about our tastes and plants for decorating have, have changed over the years? We've... Oh, Frida, they've changed enormously. I mean, you only need to look at the glossy magazines that you see sitting about the place. I mean, you would never have seen eucalyptus used, you know, in Christmas decorations when I was young. Mm. And then you get the one big brassy evergreen golden hussy, Eliagnus pungens, macula, a man knows a blousy thing, green foliage with yellows and creams. And there's a North American charmer that's appearing a lot new and all. It's a thing called Gary Elliptica that was first collected by David Douglas, the Scottish plant collector. And there's a variety of that called James Roof. It's got catkins on it at this time of year. They're about 20 centimetres long. Dogwood stems, they're brilliant. Oh, you know, you good. get them in claret reds and lime greens and yellows. And you get willows, you know, if, if they've been stooled, you know, you get lovely yellows off them. There's lots of different varieties of them. But if all that's too much fuss and bother, fits wrong with a wee bit of cow parsley, just sprayed gold or the papery silvery discs of Lunaria annua, or dried hydrangea flowers, or just dried fern fronds sprayed with gold or silver paint if you want, or you can give them a wee bit of artificial snow. It's the same with cones and stuff like that. You know, there's lots of things you can do. You don't need to spend a lot of money to decorate the house at Christmas if you can cut things out of the garden. Right. Fit a boot, fit a boot, fit a boot. Plants with berries and flowers. Oh, Frida, we could do a whole programme <laughs> on plants with berries and flowers. I mean, I mean, there's, there's, oh, there's, there's dozens of them. My best tip for berries is I don't bring things with berries on them into the house until the last minute. If you can get holly with berries on it, you're lucky. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, things like Gaultheria, Mucronata, the prickly heath, it's got lovely purple-coloured berries. And then you get wee vacciniums, you know, one called red candy. And the pyracanthus, you know, orange glow and flava, you get great berries off them. But, I mean, if you want to know more about colour in the winter garden, there's a lovely book of that name by Graeme Stewart Thomas. And I come across another one called Winter Gardens Reinventing the Season. It's by a man called Cedric Pollitt. If I had to choose two things 
I would choose Erica Carnia, Martin Ruby, and Erica Carnia, Springwood White. You know, they're just they're just beautiful. You know, they, they cut easy. They sit in a vase. Oh, there's things like viburnum, Borden and Tensey. You've got winter honeysuckle, and of course the witch hazel and the Christmas rose. You could go on and on. Non Christmas roses. I mean, you used to just get them in white. There's reeds, purples, yellows, greens, speckled forums. You know, maybe we'll talk more about that next year. Okay. One particular favourite? Ah, oh, didn't he do that to me? That's no fair. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Apart from the witch hazel and the hellebore. For me, it would need to be the winter sweet. Chimananthes, Precox, Grandiflora. It's a wee bit pricey to buy, mm -hmm. but if you buy a big plant, it's worth it because it flowers quicker. It come from China originally. It was introduced about 1766. And it has the most amazing deep fragrance that you can smell for, oh, seven, eight feet, ten feet away. And it's a combination of freshly grated lemon rind and allspice. That plant's been revered for centuries, so much so that the Tang Dynasty landscape poet, Zhang Wen, wrote a work in its honour. And I've seen it translated into English, but I just tweaked it a wee bit this morning and I just kind of gave it a wee emphasis in scotch and here's his poem Early Winter Sweet A lone shrub of cold winter sweet leans against the brig over the stream awaa for the village its white jade offshoots neglected look the buds closer to the water bloom first but they are perhaps mistaken for frozen snow, yet to melt. With these few lines, I mm -hmm. can feel the intenseness of that cold landscape and the delight that comes through that rare opportunity to experience its wonderful fragrance that always triggers the gift of memory of winter's past. And yet it's filled with hope for the years to come. Remember, when times are challenging, it's the smallest gifts of nature that bring the greatest lasting joy, even in the depths of winter. And all of them are free. You just need to use your senses to find them. I would like the scent of winter sweet. I love that. It's a wonderful thing. But, but I can what? tell you there's a very famous gardener who will remain anonymous, what? who wrote very well, who described it as a sordid thing in summer. Sorry, because it just it's just a big green bush. <laughs> right. Thank you, Mr. Dave. That was just lovely. And speaking of Christmas presents, can I recommend the two 50th anniversary books for the Scots Language Society? One's that Blasi Rock, 50 Years of Lalan's Prose. And oh, what a book. And 50 Years of Lalan's Posey, Songs That Sing So Sweet. Now, my congratulations to the Scots Language Society for these beautifully produced books celebrating their 50 years and the 100th edition of their magazine, Lalance. And I've just received their 101st edition. So more information and you can find them www.lalance.co.uk www.lalance.co.uk So recommended. What standard are writing? Beautifully produced. And to finish, it's over to our cook, Claire Patterson, for another delve into our Christmas recipe book. Claire! 
Hi, Frida. So my next recipe today, I've got some baked leeks with ham and cheese. It's a great one for Christmas or for around that festive time. So you've got the leeks in the garden, hopefully. You've got bits and bobs of cheese and ham and things like that that needs using up. So it's a sort of meal out of nothing in a way. So I'd take four leeks, give them a good wash because, you know, they can be quite gritty and you're only going to want the white bits. So you chop off the dark green tops and save them for soups or stews or stocks or whatever, whatever you want to use them for. You boil the whites of the leeks for about seven to ten minutes until they're tender. And meanwhile, you're making a cheese sauce. So the easiest way to do this, I find, is a pint of milk, a couple of bay leaves, big slice of onion. And I just stick that in the microwave to warm it up because it's easier to mix in when it's warm. Meanwhile, you're melting a couple ounces of butter in a saucepan, add in two ounces of plain flour, mix those together to make a roux. Slowly add the warm milk, discard in the onion and bay, and that'll make a bechamel sauce. Season with a wee bit of nutmeg and then add four ounces of cheese of your choice. So you can use cheddar. You can use a bit of blue cheese, you can use a bit of each, whatever whatever takes your fancy, and a tablespoon of whole grain mustard. Now wrap each of your leeks in a slice of ham, arrange them snugly in a dish, pour over the cheese sauce, top with a wee bit more cheese. If you've got breadcrumbs, a wee handful of breadcrumbs, and then stick them in the oven if the oven's on. Otherwise, just pop it under the grill for a few minutes to brown the top and... That's your that's your tea sorted. <laughs> wow! Right, spiced spiced fruits. Aye, so this is great because this is all the a lot of the spices that Dave was talking about earlier. All those Christmasy mm-hmm. spices from exotic places. So it's the spiced winter fruits. Start by making a light poaching syrup. So that's two hundred fifty grams of white sugar, a litre of water, a few strips of lemon and orange zest, and the juice from the orange and the lemon. Add in maybe half a dozen cloves, um, a star anise, a cinnamon stick and four or five cardamom pods that you've given a wee bash to. But again, if there's other spices that you prefer to use, you can stick them in as well. Bring that to the boil and then you simmer it just until it's reduced very, very slightly. And while that's simmering away, you prepare the fruit. So peel and core a couple of eaten apples and slice those fairly thickly. Peel and core a couple of pears and cut them into thick wedges and just pop that fresh fruit in a bowl and add in if you've got maybe raspberries or brambles in the freezer, a handful of them. And then any dried fruit that you want to stick in as well. So again, it's the time of year you might have dried apricots or figs or prunes kicking about that need using up. So you can basically pop those in the bowl with the fresh fruit or any frozen fruit pour over the hot poaching syrup and leave that to cool. And as it cools, that'll soften up your fresh fruit and it'll plump up your dried fruit. And then that's ready to serve as a dessert with a bit of cream or ice cream. Or to be fair, you could also do it for breakfast with a bit of yogurt oh, and a few a few it. nuts on top. I love it. Cameron, this just makes you hungry. I know, but have you got any any special food you just love to have at Christmas? It's a kind of Christmas tradition. I do, I do yes. I mean, I, I, kind of only recently I've, I've started doing an awful lot more cooking, and, and I'm kind of into this. Probably goes back to my days living in tents and stuff. Right, one pot cooking, just <laughs> making everything in one pot is great. And I've recently started using lots of beans. 
of different kinds of beans, barlotti beans mm. and black beans and all different Lovely. kinds of beans. And I think what, what, what I'm going to be doing at, at sometime this Christmas is, is doing some Italian sausages in, uh, it's a kind of bean stew with Italian oh. sausages. And it's, it's just one of these big satisfying hot meals that you get on a cold day, you know. It's just, it, it warms up the cockles of your heart really nicely. Aye. Um, I haven't even touched uh, any alcohol or drink or whatever they associated with. But sherry trifle brings to comes to mind. Sherry trifle, I think that's that's a must clear on a Christmas table. No, I hate sherry trifle. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit. I feel a bit sherry trifle the way I feel a bit summer pudding. Oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Here's something about you and Claire Patterson. She's getting out of control again. Absolutely. I'm glad we're all coming to yours for our Christmas on your wine in Loch Haber because you're, you're the best cuckoo as are. Listen, be no I've, trifle. No trifle. Right. Thank you, Claire and Cameron and Abdi. And that brings us to the end of this Christmas edition of Scots Radio. Pity about Nay Santa, though. Only one. We have a special ending this episode. We have an extract for the Christmas Carol story by Charles Dickens, uh, written and read for us in Doric by Shane Strachan, who's Scott Screever, and is a cracker. And we also finish with a track for you in my favourite uh, books and CDs. It's a track by Timothy Cummins for the Wayfaring Strangers book, and that's a cracker. So on behalf of the team, Richie, Dave, Claire, Steve... Let me in! Maybe Let me in! For the fuzz but why would we let you in? Why are you? Because I'm Santa, and am I on your programme? I'm the star. Do you mean you're Santa? We've just heard you can't come. Go ahead, father you are. No, father's on behalf of oh, On behalf of the team, Richie, Dave... Let me in, or you're going to get oh, presents. You can't be Santa. Nay reindeer, nay carrots. We heard that earlier on. Tell right. you, I'm Santa. Right. Look, you can't be Santa. Uh, on behalf of the team, uh, Richie, Dave... I'm coming to your mum. Dave, coming to your mum. You're coming to your mum. We haven't swept it for years. We'll be a bloody one. 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 Merry Christmas. <laughs> you ins, you ins, I say Merry Christmas. Are you ready? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bring on Shane Strachan. Scrooge got himself rigged in his bonniest clothes and at last went out into the streets. They were hoaching we folk as he'd seen them with the guests of Yuletide prison. And walking with his hands a him, Scrooge gave every one of them a great muckle smile. He appeared say sonsy in a word that three or four fine chills said, Good morning, sir, a merry yule day to you. And Scrooge said then afterwards that wa oh, the fine soons he'd ever heard, thon were the finest in his lugs. He hidden again far from coming towards him. He teemed into the stoop money if I'd walked into his coonton house the day afore and speared, Scrooge and Marlest. It fair damn at his hair to think who us all man would look at him for they met new. But he can't fit why the path of what him gied, and he teen it. Feel like my chill, said Scrooge, hastering after him and ticking the almani by the hands. I hope you did well yesterday. It was half a fine of ye. A merry yule day to ye. 
Mr. Scrooge? Aye, says Scrooge, that's my name, and I feel it might be all foreign to you. I'll loom to spare you for your mercy, and will you hear the grace? Here Scrooge whispered something more in his lug. Coffee, that cried out Dalmoney, as if his breath had been teen awa. But Mr. Scrooge, are you trying to swack me? Nea va, said Scrooge, nea far den less. A heap of back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favour? Oh, me, said the other, shaking hands with him. I can't fit to say to sick weed well. Dinna say anything, please, Scrooge cut in. Come in past mine sometime. Will you come and see me? Aye, I will, cried the Almani, and he was na leeing. Thank ye, said Scrooge. I'm off a bleach to you. Thank ye fifty times over. Bless your bains. He went to Kirk and then walked about the street, watching folk wire back and forth, and he clap at bairns in the heed and yap it to beggars and look it down into the kitchens of houses and up to windows and found that I think could give him pleasure. He never dwamped the only walk, the only thing could give him ass muckle gladness. <laughs>